You're listening to the Juicy Bits Podcast, uncovering the extraordinary in ordinary lives with your host, Jasmine Richwall. Welcome to the Juicy Bits Podcast. Today I delve into the ever so secretive world of a private investigator and I chat to Steve who's the founder of Elite Investigations in Melbourne and he's been a private investigator for nearly 10 years. When I asked Steve how far he'll go on his pursuit of surveillance he responded confidently by saying whatever the client wants he'll drive as far as he needs to, spend countless hours in his car waiting, take ferries into state and he'll even change attire from casual wear to a suit and tie just so he can blend into the crowd on his quest of surveillance. He's an extreme professional and he has a good track record to prove it. Here's Steve. I'm a licensed Victorian licensed private investigator. Each state has its own licensing regulation. And how did you get that qualification and that license? I believe it's changed now, but it's not far from where it was when I did it back nearly 10 years ago. So back then you had to do a certificate three in investigative services. Then once you get that certificate, that allows you to apply for your private investigator's license. In the middle of the process of applying, you pretty much get a one-on-one chat with a magistrate's judge. Why do you want to be an investigator? Where do you see yourself going? Just generic, personal, you know, personality kind of questions. That's the best way to describe personality kind of question. The reason being is obviously the state wants to see that the person they're giving a license to follow people is is a good person and not just a dropkick that's going to use and abuse it. From there, you get a full criminal check, criminal fingerprints, pretty much a hamburger with a lot. Whatever they can check, they'll check everything. And then if those two things check out, and that's if they check out, then you officially get your private investigator's license. So the course is, I would say, about 50% of it. The one-on-one with the magistrate, when I did it, I, I would say that's the hardest part of it all. Because the reason being is at the end of the day, you have to explain why you want to do what you want to do. And it just can't be, oh, I want to follow people. Or I've, I've seen people turn around and go, I want to carry a gun. Private investigators don't carry guns. Police officers do it's a very quick way to shuffle out the, um, the people that are going to use and abuse the power and the people that are going to actually genuinely do a good job and trade and, and help the public because that's, that's what we do. We work on the private sector. Police do the, pub, uh, the public sector, we do the private sector. What are the possibilities that within a short time of starting to be a private investigator, people decide that perhaps I'm not suited or the role isn't for me? I have a saying that it's a make-and-break industry. Okay, make and break industry. The reason being is you either love it or you hate it. There's no middle. So within the first few months, when you start going out on the road, learning what you need to learn, picking up your equipment, pretty much growing your own little business to whatever you want, whatever level you want to grow it to, putting up with the elements, the 10-hour, 15-hour, 20-hour days, you know, two days a week, seven days a week, whatever it is, that will make and break somebody. So it's either you, you love it or you hate it. There's no it's an okay job because if you're it's an okay job, 
the elements out there every single day of the week, or the hours, the, the, the sun, the cold, that will destroy you. You will break you. And you're out straight away. So whoever's in it, whoever's licensed, and it's a very, very small group of people, they love it. So that's that's what I tell every single trainee. And I've got one that I'm actually trying to train as we're going, as we're speaking. It's a make and break industry. And within the first few months, generally, you find out whether somebody's going to survive the uh, year. We'll put it that way. And what I was going to ask you, you sort of just touched on it before, is mm -hmm. who actually trains you? I'm sure a lot of it is on the job, but do you have a mentor? Do you have people, supervisors that you report to? Or is it every case I imagine is so different from the next? It's one of those jobs that it need to be a lateral thinker. Uh, in terms of training, basically, there's no set criteria on how to train. That's, that's the hard thing about it all, and that's what they're, they're trying to regulate more and more. But at the moment, the course itself, the new version of the course, Cert 3, provides a three, four, I think it's a week now, actually, a week of they train you how to do surveillance, different bits and pieces, how to videotape, how to follow people, etc., etc., etc. That, in my opinion, is not enough for you to go out on your own and just think that you know how to follow people. It doesn't work like that. From there, 99 out of 100 trainees that come into the industry, for example, in a year, because it's, it's the numbers are that small, will then contact bigger companies, for example, myself, and request to be trained. It's not like um, us taking on a, um, a, a junior apprentice as a carpenter. We don't get reimbursed for nothing. It's, if the person fits our criteria, and then we train them. If it doesn't, then we don't have enough hours in the day, unfortunately. That's, that's the harsh reality of it. There's nobody to support uh, uh, somebody getting into it. There's nobody to teach you how to get into it. And trial and error in this particular industry is not acceptable. You will end up losing your license. So you're forced to find somebody that's willing to train you. So do you work with a small team? Yes. It's, it's a very different industry. The reason why I can say it's not like any other industry, I've followed that many people in my life and seen that many different job roles because we obviously follow them and see what they do day-to-day -day basis, I cannot compare it to another industry. I have two major boys that work alongside me. They do a large majority of my work when I can't do it. Um, I have a new kid on the block that's got about three months' experience now at the moment. I'm training him up personally myself, taking time out of the day. He's not at the level that he's good enough to go out on his own yet. So that just shows you that a week or two weeks or three weeks or two months is not going to be enough if you want to get into this industry to be able to say you can do it by yourself. He's approaching probably nearly three months now. Yeah, nearly three months now. And he's getting there. He's nearly there. But we, we're now starting to put him out on jobs where we go, going back to the whole training aspect, we have him sit on the job, running the whole job by himself, and an experienced guy around the corner, only for backup purposes. You go out on your own when you're ready, but there is someone as a backup. How long does that period last for? With what I do personally or in general in the industry? I've seen people that have picked it up in three weeks. I've seen people that after four months, they still can't get it. So as long as it takes. I am not prepared to put anybody on a job for any of my clients 
that is not 150%. Think of it this way. We get that many emails and phone calls per day, but I trim it back to the degree that I rather run my company like a boutique instead of like a McDonald's. I want to talk to every single client one-on-one, figure out what the issues are, what are their objectives, and solve it. Going out there and doing the job is one thing, but doing the job for a reason. What are we trying to achieve with what we're doing? The individual, obviously, while you're training, you're not going to make a cent because you're not worth a cent yet. You know trainees are employees. The whole industry works under subcontractors. Everybody has their own ATMs, ABM. It's just the way it works because we've all got to be using our own equipment. We've all got to be using cars, cars chew up maintenance left, right and centre. It, it, it's not an industry where you come into it and you become an employee, you get a car, you get a package, you get a wage. You don't get that. You know, one week we might have 550 hours of surveillance, the next week we might have eight. I'm sure a lot of the work is classified. Uh, what sort of cases do you cover? Okay, this is how it generally works. Somebody comes to me with a, they go, Stephen, you know, this, this and this. They, they tell you something that's going on in their lives. They have no idea why they've called me. They have no idea what they're trying to get out of me. They just know they've got an issue and I'm a private investigator and for some reason those two things link up together and they call. My job is to then go out there and obviously get their issue and resolve it with some sort of investigation. So, for example, we do investigations from cheating husbands and wives. We have them follow it around, see what they get up to, see if they are cheating, etc., etc. We do jobs where employees don't turn up to work for weeks on end. They're on sick leave for whatever reason. And we, we have them followed and they're out at the park or they're out at the shopping centre or whatever it is. We do jobs where thefts, um, a, a factory gets broken into every Wednesday night, um, always a random time, or sometimes it might be a, a random day here, there and everywhere. And because it's always random, the police don't want anything to do with it. And because there's too much time and resources involved for them sitting out there for so long. So we go out, we sit, we wait, we videotape the entire event when it happens, and then we, we coordinate it with the police to, to uh, come to a conclusion. We'll put it that way. We, we locate people. Somebody's gone missing. Somebody was trying to find a long-lost relative. An employee has done a, a runner. Somebody has hired the services of somebody else, for example, a tradie or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, they pay them lump sums of money and they've disappeared. We like our people. We do things like background checks on people. So we go out and go, okay, this person says that. I'll incorporate that with another one on online dating. Somebody meets somebody online, they want to know a little bit more about them. This person tells them that they own six figures, six properties, and they drive a BMW. And obviously with a combination of investigation, background, and surveillance, actually physically going out there, we find out that they just live in a shitter with no properties and they drive a Toyota Camry for argument's sake. So we do lots of different things. Pretty much any issue that you can come up with, any serious issue in life, whether it's a personal or business-related issue, there will be some way, shape or form that we can help. The best way to describe it. That's what we do. We solve issues through investigation. 
Can I just go back to the online dating? Because I didn't expect you to say that, and I think that's really fascinating. So anyone can be anyone over a computer screen, and I guess yep. when it comes to meet meeting someone else, you just go by... It's essentially trust, but you can be... You can play any role. So you have men or women communicate with you that they've met someone, can you do a check on them? And basically, I'm not really all that familiar with online dating, but I can imagine that you don't really reveal as much information as you probably should. Therefore, you're just working with like minimum facts. Isn't that right? You're right. You're 150% right. It's an issue that's getting bigger and worse every year because people are turning to social media more and more. There's nothing wrong with social media, not my cup of tea, but the issue is that people post their entire lives on social media, everything, everything. And it's, it's creating a, a new personality type. People don't go meet people at pubs and the post office or Coles anymore, uh, whatever it is. It, do, it doesn't matter, people want a more electronic way to solve it or a more user-friendly way, a more a less time-consuming way. And hence why online dating is growing. Now, that's a personal opinion. The issue is they bullshit. Uh, they lie. And there's no way to really confirm that the person is who they say they are on the other end. We've had scenarios where we've had clients scammed out of money or just bullshitted to for sex or <laughs> one time person dragged on one of my clients for a year and a half before she called me and managed to get $10,000 in PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 games out of her before she caught on that there's maybe something wrong here because I haven't seen him in a year and a half. Unfortunately, there's a lot of scammers out there and it's getting easier with online dating. I'm not saying it's, it's a bad thing. Unfortunately, it's, it's a very good thing. It is a very good thing. But unfortunately for the select few, they just want to be idiots. That's the best way to describe them, idiots online, and really wreck other people's lives. It, it, it puts a bit of a downer on it. It's only a small minority, but it's a small minority that I deal with every single day. And then as time goes on, obviously social media and all the rest, they will become more and more popular. The way people interact will become more and more popular online dating will become more and more popular and the issue will grow there is no doubt about that whatsoever the issue will grow um and i don't see it being fixed anytime soon like we've even gone to the stage at one time we got in contact with one of the major online dating people i'm not going to mention her name and suggested that we can do a subsection where if people aren't 100 percent sure like for example i've got a sister yeah, you know, I wouldn't want her going out and meeting some stranger in the middle of nowhere because they've spoken for the last three months online. Like, that's just bullshit. I wouldn't want that. But it happens. Um, and I, or the other story that I told you before, or many, many other stories where people have been scammed out of a lot of money. Um, so how do you put it to people? And I'm not just going to say women, but let's just say... For the use of an example, how do you put it to a woman that sent you out on a mission to find out whether she's met this guy, whether he's legit? How do you phrase the outcome, the result of what you've uncovered? Uh, look, I am a firm believer of honesty. So it is what it is. 
if I caught them doing something in the back of a car, I will tell her where it's going on. If I figured out that he's a scammer, he's done this to somebody else in the past, I will tell her what's going on. If I found out that his six-figure six income is a two-figure income, I will tell her straight out. There, whether it's her or him. So I will tell anybody straight out. There's no... No bullshit policy. It's as simple as that. What it is, is what it is. And that's what I'm here to do. Tell the truth. Tell you what's actually going on so you can make an executive decision with your life on which way you want to turn. You're not going to spend another six months of your life talking with an idiot, going back to it again, online, that's honestly doing nothing but trying to drag you down or get a dollar out of you. One of the two. Um, and like I said, it's an issue. So I proposed that we have a section where we can, when people start getting more serious, that they can hire my services and we can do more checks or we can check them out. We can go out and do surveillance on them or whatever it is. It is taking it to the nth degree of seriousness. But the issue is obviously when you, when an online dating company has to, uh, they have to go to the degree of, going, well, if this person is going to possibly scam you, here's a private investigator just in case. Obviously, it's going to make their product look shit. You know, um, but when you, when you put it like that, it kind of makes sense. It does make sense. That's if, why I put the offer out there, but obviously I was turned down. Right. Um, I think it's a very good offer. Um, and at the end of the day, whether I was or wasn't on their website, or me personally, they're still going to call me. It's just going to take them longer to figure out. Instead of being three months, it's going to become 10 months. Instead of being a year and $2,000 loss, it's going to be three years and a $15,000 loss. Mm. So it's going to take longer for people to put two and two together, come up with that issue and go, now what I do, I have an issue, I don't even know what to do. An issue in private investigator equals call lead investigations. Mm. If I was it's in... just how it works. Yeah. The majority of people have no idea what they want when they call me. They just know there's an issue. That's it. Well, I must imagine it's they've got no idea how to go about it or how to, how to fix their scenario. Exactly. Not only fix it, but the issue is fix it legally. Because, for argument's sake, somebody breaks into your house and, I don't know, they're stealing stuff and you feel threatened for your life and you beat the shit out of them. <laughs> You're going to get in trouble. You're feeling threatened for your life. The issue is... The Australian population has limitations of what they can't, can and can't do with online investigations themselves. Going out and sitting down the road and waiting for your husband to leave or going out and checking out somebody's address, it's illegal. It's stalking. So majority of people, this is, this is going back to they don't know what to do because they don't know where the rules and regulations are. They don't know that chucking a GPS on somebody's car is highly illegal. It's a jail sentence. That's why you need a licence to do what we do. Um, and we recently released, because we have a blog on our um, website, the most recent blog post, I think it was today, talks about exactly that. The amount of people that go out and try and do something silly because they have no idea what to do because they've, they've been scammed online and they have no idea where to turn and they end up getting themselves in more trouble than the other person because they have no idea what to do. And who plants the seed in someone's mind? Maybe you should call a private investigator. Everyone's different. Everyone is completely different. Large majority of clients will be one of two things. They've got an issue, and for whatever reason, like I said to you, that leads to me, or two, 
they speak to a friend or family and somebody knows somebody that knows somebody that knows a private investigator who heard of an, an issue that was very serious and the investigator fixed it for them and they turned to that. It's generally one of those two things. To hear another reason outside of that uh, for somebody calling me is, is a very small minority. Before the interview continues, Steve is going to talk about missing persons, but a little explanation is needed. He talks about how the socioeconomics of a person makes a really big difference on how easily a person is traced. For example, someone who has a stable job, a rental agreement, for example, or bank history transaction details, they're all tools that private investigators use to track people down. If you take someone who's perhaps on a lower socioeconomic level of society that perhaps doesn't have a stable income, doesn't have a job to say the least, or barely has any rental agreements or any accommodation that's fixed in writing, they're the elements that make the job of a private investigator really challenging when it comes to tracking people down. The issue is with a lot of missing people is that nobody that's, for example, and I, I'm, I'm going to generalise now, majority of people that go missing, like we're talking straight out, disappear, not a long lost relative kind of person, is really a nobody or a or, or they've got something wrong or they've got a drug issue or they've got something. A, a, a normal Joe Blow, unless something's gone horribly wrong in their, in their life, doesn't go missing. Or a, somebody that's got money backing them, a nice house or a nice job and all the rest of that, does not go missing. The issue with missing people is the fact that sometimes there's a little bit of give and take in terms of clients need to understand, and I explain this to everybody, is that it, it, it's very difficult to find a missing person. You don't know how long it's going to take. So with that, a lot of people, a lot of people, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a 50-50 whether they go down the track or not because you could go down the track and well, of trying to find somebody that you think is missing. It could take you 10 hours. It could take you 150 hours. But the, the invoice at the end of the day is going to be a huge difference. Now, if you're prepared for that, no problem whatsoever. But the issue with missing people is, and this is why people say missing, is because a lot of people aren't prepared to go out and spend X amount of budget in two or three weeks to try and find them. And in the meantime, they remain missing for one, two years and people forget about them. And 10 years down the track, it's like, oh, I'm just trying to find my ex-girlfriend who disappeared all of a sudden 15 years ago and forget about it now it's, it's it's she's remarried changed her name and she's got three kids and you'll never find her missing people is a very touchy subject it's it's a very there's a hundred questions and there's so many possibilities the emotional part of it i eliminate it completely it's very brutal but if you call me my job is to take the emotion out of it no matter the scenario no matter what's going on my job is to take the emotion out of it and think logically and factually and go, this is the issue, this is how we're going to solve it. If I was going to sit there and cry with every single client, we would first never achieve anything, but at the same time, no, we would never achieve anything, full stop. We get fantastic results for them and they end up going, I don't believe you. So you never know how somebody's going to react. And once again, it's, it's my job no matter how the client reacts, no matter whether they're paying $100 or $10,000, everyone gets treated the same and everyone gets told the truth. 
and that's it. It's as simple as that. My job is to take the emotion out of it. It, it on a personal level, it's hard for me to take the emotion out of it, but I have to. It's my job. And if I didn't, like I said to you, we'd be running around in circles for ages, wasting double the amount of time and spending too much time on thinking about it instead of doing it. Make or break industry. You love it or you hate it. How much does the media play in your role? At the end of the day, the media, as you know, is there to tell a story. If the story is very, it sounds very confusing or very juicy, we'll put it that way, to me, it's, it's just another story. <laughs> the juiciest, the juiciest story. So it's just another story. Obviously, it needs to be solved. There's, there's a purpose for it being aired. There is a catch-22. I think the media in the last few years is becoming a lot better with public awareness. Public awareness is the hardest thing because people go on CSI Miami and they see people tracking on GPS trackers on cars and they go, oh, okay, we can do that, no problem. I'll jump on eBay and go buy one for $2. They end up getting in a stalking charge, which is a criminal offence. Public awareness is a very huge factor. So I'm doing this for public awareness. So even if one person hears what I have to say and knows that, shit, I can't do that GPS track or I can't actually go out and check on my ex-girlfriend or this or that or what, use find my iPhone on for any purpose apart from finding my iPhone. I can't do that because there's rules and regulations about it. But what I can do is call Stephen, the private investigator, and go, this is my issue, this is what I want, and Stephen will fix it for me. Yes, you'll pay for it, but you keep your ass out of jail. If someone's being unfaithful, a partner's being unfaithful, and you're yep. out on the mission to solve that, what procedure do you take from beginning to end? It's generally always a similar procedure, but it comes down to budget generally as well. See, there's three major factors when doing a job. Not pricing a job, but doing it. You've got three factors. Your objectives. Number one, I get your objectives from when you call me and you tell me your story. I know what you want because... The objectives are what you can't answer. That's number one. Number two is price. I need to know what your budget is, whether that's $500, whether it's $50,000, because I can only solve one or 100 or 600 of your objectives if the budget caters for it. And then once I have those two factors, it's my job to then come up with a plan of attack to solve that. So there's no such thing as this is the ABCs of what you do with surveillance. Every job is completely different. Every job will have a different start time, different finish time, different conclusion, different way of following, different area, different person. There's no two jobs that are alike. An investigator will never stop learning. They'll get damn good at what they do, but they'll never stop learning. And anyone that says they know everything doesn't deserve to be in this industry because no one knows everything. For argument's sake, we're following somebody through Ligon Street, okay? And we get stuck at a set of lights. Obviously, we have to obey traffic laws. We get stuck at a set of lights and um, we lose sight of the subject. What are you going to do? You're not going to just say, ring up the client and go, mate, just lost the missus, don't know where she is, sorry, we'll go back again tomorrow. It's money out of his pocket, unnecessary money. So taking into consideration that you never stop learning, I know for a fact there's a few little side streets behind Ligon Street, little alleys, this or that, that you can nearly run parallel with Ligon Street at the same speed legally 
and end up in front of them. So if you were to lose them at a certain set of lines, you could catch them up towards the city. They're very, very basic. That is a basic example of an investigator will never stop learning. Or in the morning, if you're sitting on a street, you would have to face your car in a certain way so when the sun starts coming into your car, it doesn't... We have tint on our car. So that would more, more describe. I'm not talking about solid black limousine tint, just normal tint. But depending on how you sit yourself, how you sit in the chair, how far back you lean the chair, you can pretty much hide yourself within a car if you know which angles the sun will affect the tint, which are the blind spots of the car. There's, there's lots of different things that an investigator has to take into consideration. On what angle do you film somebody from the front or the back or do you film them into the sun, away from the sun? Do you, if they were to go inside a cafe, where would you have to sit inside that cafe if you wanted to get discreet video with a hidden camera within that cafe? Would you have to sit two tables away? Would you have to sit one table away? You will never, ever stop learning because even though that scenario is repeated over and over and over again, the, the places that can, that can be done or the scenarios or the people that can be done on is never-ending. So, therefore, you will always learn something new. One year into this, I used to go, OK, I've got to go sit there, I've got to do this, I've got to get it from this angle, I've got to use this camera for this reason, etc., 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 etc. My brain doesn't even think like that anymore. I'll be on the phone, typing a report, following somebody and jumping out of the car, grabbing my wallet, grabbing my hair and camera and going in and videotaping somebody while still continuing to type up logs on my phone. I just do it naturally. It's just what I do. So how do you live your life? Let's just say you've got a family wedding out, out of the city somewhere. Your phone must ring at random times throughout the day and you just have to pick up and go. So is that, is that a lifestyle that you're used to? You've got to get used to the phone. You've got to get used to the conversations. I'm not saying that you've got to you know, answer every single phone call and just spend two hours on the phone all the time. If, if a person is willing, is, is, is going to ring you and they know you or they've read your reviews or this or that, you go, mate, I need 15 minutes to call you back. I'm doing this, this and this, or just give me 20 minutes, I'll call you back. And they're willing to accept that, then obviously that, when you call them back in 20 minutes' time, you've made yourself a new customer. There is scenarios where we do turn back work because it, the job just doesn't seem right or the job isn't to our needs or we just can't fit it in. And for whatever reason, motions are high and they want it done yesterday. So it, it, it's not everything's possible. But the phone doesn't stop, the hours don't stop, we're on the road all the time and it is what it is, just the way it is. It's a lifestyle choice, yes, on a personal level, it's a very big lifestyle choice plays a toll if you want it to play a toll but you can also use it to your advantage because you've got a lot of freedom too you're in a different area every single day you're following a different person you're working different hours you really wanted to it's a fantastic life i was in a cafe two days ago i was in a restaurant two days before that i was following somebody on a train into the city and we're drinking my morning coffee two days before that the scenario is never ending if you, if you love what you do i'm not in an office it's not the same office every single day. It's you're living somebody else's life. If you do love the job, you're literally living somebody else's life. Like, what did you do on a Saturday? What did you do? Tell me an interesting Saturday that you did something. I went to the football. Beautiful. What else? I played sport in the morning. Good. Did you get coffee or something to eat? Did you go out with friends? I got a coffee in the morning and then had uh, some takeaway in the evening. Good. Well, on Saturday, 
I had a coffee in the morning. I followed you to your friends. <laughs> I saw you have lunch. I went to the football. I had some takeaway. And I sort of did some reports and made some phone calls. That's the life of a private investigator. So would you pay for a ticket to the football? If that's what the client wants, of course. It's never ending. I've had to pay for a ferry ticket to Tasmania before. That's what they want, no problem. It's never ending. It comes down to three things. Like I told you, the objectives, the budget, and plan of attack. If you have a budget where you just like, it needs to be done, and there is scenarios like that, it's never ending. It really isn't. I had a scenario one time where I had to, uh, we were told that we we're following somebody so and so, and we had to go into a job absolutely last minute. And the previous job that I did before that wasn't in a not so nice area, so I was wearing tracksuit pants. And the person that we followed ended up going to Crown Casino, and oh, I can't get into where they got into. And the client goes, just transfer a thousand bucks, and you can go buy yourself a suit and get in there and videotape it. So did you buy yourself a new suit? Yeah, of course I did. And I went in there and I videotaped him. So you not just have to blend in with the crowd, you have to make yourself believable to everyone of around you. Of course. No matter the scenario. Whether you're in trackies, runners, shorts, suit, jeans. Wow. Doesn't matter. Never ending. It is a hard job. The reason being is because I won't be following you every day for arguments say your story. I will know exactly what you do after two days. I'll be able to follow you for two months with my eyes closed. Wow. That's what I do. I'm not trying to scare you. For argument's sake, you are committing a severe fraud worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Somebody wanted you followed, take you to court. That happened. A wife, her husband has a drinking problem and he won't admit to it. And she gets us to go out there every so often when he goes out with the boys to make sure that he doesn't get into the car drunk. And if he does, our job was to call the police and tell him that he's drink driving. And we ended up doing that. And he lost his license. He learned his lesson, but he didn't do it again. Harsh love. Very tough love. So you wouldn't have intervened or stepped in at that stage and told the guy... If somebody's going to get into the car, there's, there's points where it just becomes ridiculous. If something is happening that's beyond ridiculously is illegal, it's as simple as that, we will not personally intervene but immediately call the police and tell them what's going on. I'm licensed. <laughs> well, it's a hard license to keep. I've got to keep a clean record. I'm not going to let an idiot jump into a car that's absolutely hammered or off his face on coke because he wants to drive half an hour home like an idiot in his BMW. Mm. I can't stand that personally, let alone on a, on a professional level. My name's Steve from Elite Investigations. We're licensed private investigators in the state of Victoria. Our website is www.eliteinvestigations.com.au. Our number is 1300-721-715. You're listening to the Juicy Bits Podcast, uncovering the extraordinary in ordinary lives, with your host, Jasmine Richwall.